welcome to Out of the Blue for Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast that we can confirm would have been listened to by 11 of the 12 disciples of Christ. Spoiler alert, Judas is on that list. I am Jared Stormer of AmazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, the Charisma King, the Mayor of Charleston, and the only man I know that made Suge Knight cry. How the hell are you, brother? Tough look for doubting Thomas not making it in the top 11 there from the Apostles, but you know, someone's got to be left out and doubting our wise takes as it is. I'm great, man. It was a good weekend to be a Michigan Wolverine fan. We're going to talk basketball, talk hockey, and of course, we're going to talk football. Of course, but first we're going to power rank the disciples of Christ and beginning with... <laughs> no, man. And this is our last episode. <laughs> It will not be our last episode. We have many more episodes to come, but a little bit of housekeeping that we got to touch on, kind of one where uh, we're on the topic of us being canceled. We are not being canceled. We are the SB Nation podcast for now, but we will be transitioning our podcast to the Fan First Sports Network. If you're already subscribed, you won't have to go out of your way to resubscribe to the podcast since our feed will still be coming from us. Subscribers don't have to do anything to come find us. If you're not subscribed, now would be a great time to go do that or else you're going to have to go search us out out of the blue brewcast all your favorite mnb podcast will be a part of ffsn under the new name the block m podcast network may still plug our articles on maize and brew every now and again but we will not be under their umbrella podcast anymore this is one of those changes we were kind of alluding to uh if it's too long didn't read you don't really need to do anything just stay subscribed or subscribe if you're not already yeah, nothing's going to change, you know, just the, the name you might see pop up. It's still going to be us, still doing our thing. Um, might be branching out into a couple new aspects, so this is a, it's a good thing. This is not bad news, this is just change that's going to happen, growth, evolution. I'm super, super excited for it. We are not afraid of change around here. In fact, we embrace it. There are some new things that are going to come along with this move. Can't quite announce them yet because we're not officially over there, but expect those announcements very soon. Uh, excited about the future. Uh, this podcast, we ain't going anywhere. Like Jordan Belfort, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but like Magic Johnson, as far as, you know, SB Nation, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So we'll still be somewhere. We'll be in the ethos and uh, we'll continue to bring you the best of Michigan content. Speaking of Michigan content, let's get into it, brother, with some quick hits. You want to open with a little hockey primer. Let me, t- let me take off my blue light glasses real quick. Please do it. This was, this was a tough weekend. It was tough. It was frustrating. Um, Michigan has not beaten Notre Dame at Yost Arena now since 2018. And the trend continued with a couple over uh, a tie in the first game, a shootout loss. So the Irish got the extra point and then an overtime loss on the second night uh, lost Luke Hughes for game one. He returned for the second game. Adam Fantilli was ejected early in the second game, lost his cool. So kind of stumbling a little bit heading into the Big Ten tournament. Michigan does remain number four in the polls, which is good news. They are still number four in pairwise, which is even more important because that is the ranking system used to rank the top 16 teams for the NCAA tournament. So very important to keep an eye on that as well. Uh, Michigan has Wisconsin this week, the worst team in the Big Ten uh, for the opening round of the Big Ten tournament. They're going to play Friday, Saturday, Sunday if necessary because for whatever reason, only the opening round of the Big Ten tournament is best of three. After that, it's single elimination hockey, the rest of the Big Ten tournament, and then into the NCAA tournament. Very weird, the setup for Big Ten tournament hockey. I'll be trying to tune in on that. 
Uh, you would tell me if I'm wrong here. I know you would because you're uh, my hetero life mate. But is the bigger concern here just losing some momentum at a key point in the season? Or is there actually some stuff that you saw on the ice that you're concerned with, like that maybe there's a deficiency that we're just now seeing? Um, I would say it's just a little bit of momentum. Uh, Michigan's done a really good job mitigating the loss of several defensemen and incorporating them back into the lineup. Michigan has not been fully healthy uh, once this season. Frankie Nazar missed most of it. I believe he's played seven games now. Um, Jacob Truscott's been out since the Minnesota series. That He's likely to not return the rest of the year, so that's a big hit, one of the starting blue liners. So it's just been one of those years. It's been very up and down. They've mitigated it mostly. Uh, Eric Portillo has worried me a little bit, the starting goaltender for Michigan. He's been very feast or famine, can make the very timely save, but it's like, if he's going to, can he carry this team if they need him to? I don't think he can. And against offenses like Minnesota again, like we've seen what they can do. Michigan has played very well when healthy against them, but if Portillo has to stand on his head for even a game, I just don't know if he's able to do it. So I am concerned at a certain degree, a little concerned with Adam Fantilli's uh, lack of discipline at times. But uh, no, Michigan has the stuff, man. I would say if I was going to power rank the teams right now, how I felt about winning a national championship this year, it's Minnesota number one with a bullet. They've just been the best team in hockey. Number two, Quinnipiac. They play in a weaker conference, but they've been very, very dominant behind a lot of stellar goaltending play. And then it's open. And you get Denver's, you get St. Cloud State, you get Michigan, you get BU, you get Western, a whole bunch of teams right there in the mix that can really make a surge here and grab it. So Michigan has home ice for the first two rounds of the Big Ten tournament, so Wisconsin, and then they'll play the winner of Ohio State and Penn State. Fingers crossed for Penn State because we match up really poorly against Ohio State. And then if you'd go, the Michigan would advance to the conference championship at Minnesota, just like last year where Michigan won. Yeah, so we'll know a lot more this time next week when we come on the podcast. If you're in Ann Arbor and you're able to get out to Yost Arena, support the team, we were able to go to a game this year. I have zero regrets about getting in there. Just a ton of fun. Like, I'm not going to say it's more enjoyable than a football game because that's my sport and the big house is just has this legendary air about it. But like they did some different stuff at the games that I think sets it apart. And I highly, highly recommend it. And you're only got a couple more chances left. So get out, support the team if you can. Uh, next quick hit we got to touch on. This is outrageous. Honestly, I wanted <laughs> to just open the podcast screaming about this. Uh, saw this come across our feeds last week, uh, shortly after we had recorded. But apparently, Amarion Walker, who has just switched over from wide receiver over to the other side of the ball. This is a big dude as well. Was he 6'2"? 6'4". Hey, 6'4". Yeah, I have my numbers wrong. He's 6'4". He's already won the starting job. Now, as crazy as the Mike Sainra still switch was, this is crazier. This is one of the more surprising things, just bits of news about a player and on-the-field stuff that I can remember hearing. We're going to power rank some of our strangest occurrences of 2022 this is going to be high when we do this for 2023 you just don't see this happen man after two practices with a new position what is this guy like what are we dealing with here this is baffling yeah to hear harbaugh say after two practices it's safe to say you know he's already the cornerback too next to will johnson what 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 does this mean like it makes no sense we're already going to call it skywalkers the nickname Let's just yep. put it out there. Like it is a Marion Skywalker. But if you have a 6'4 to 6'3 boundary corner, I mean, that is has to be the biggest duo in the country. 
What about Walker Boundary Ranger for the uh, the old Walker <laughs> Texas Ranger? That's a bit of a throwback. Maybe our boomer listeners might remember Walker Texas Ranger, but there's some nickname ideas, which is good because Rod Moore, Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins got some boring names out there. So Marion Walker brings some heat there. But more importantly, one of the biggest question marks we had coming into the season was who's going to play across Will Johnson. Now, you and I weren't worried about it because of what Will Johnson's going to be able to do. And then some of the help you have back there with Sainra still, Rod Moore. I mean, it's just a bevy of talent back there. My boy, Makari Page, is still going to come in and provide valuable minutes. So we weren't too worried about it. But if this guy's that good after two practices, A, that tells me, like, this is not something that we've seen, really, like, because we just haven't seen some Harbaugh come out after two practices. So he must be just way far beyond like the Jalen Perry's of the world and the Cameron Calhoun's and stuff who was a natural corner and be like, this could be really freaking good is like my second takeaway from that is like, you don't just do this. If you think, yeah, he could be pretty good. He might work there. You do it. If you're sure you got a hit, you got a dude there. Yeah, this is I, – I love the history of Harbaugh having people switch positions. You saw it a couple more places. Dom Gadis, officially an offensive lineman. Uh, Lauren Setti, I think. Sherman. Was, yeah, Richard Sherman worked out. Hassan Haskins, like, a couple times switched back and forth. Kalel Mullings. Like, I mean, there's – I mean, Mikey Sainer still is the most recent example. So, if a Marion Walker hits, like, it seems like it's going to be Walker or um, Jaden McBurrows seem to be the leaders in the clubhouse. They're kind of going back and forth. McBurrows really highly touted, injured most of last season. But the fact that Walker is already this good this early, it has to leave you feeling optimistic that with just more reps and more practice and more experience, he has to be the number one must-watch player for the spring game, though. I'm completely dialed in. I was upset that there's just no tape of him at corner for me to go look at. Cause as soon as I heard that, I'm like, Oh my God, I need to go watch this. There's nothing there. We have no idea. This is a complete unknown. So all eyes will be on a Marion Walker, like a six, four and six, two boundary corner. One of them, it, they said would go in the top 10 of the draft right now. Like what is happening in the secondary in Ann Arbor? Like that is my favorite area to watch. So like my excitement level about this Marion Walker thing is like, insane but i'm also confused by it like it, it it's incredible but strange yeah you have in the secondary you have pff saying will johnson's the top 10 pick this year you have bleacher report putting out that rod moore's the best safety in college football full stop you have six four skywalker it's it is mind-blowing the semblance of talent back there and it's really going to come down to like mean one shout out steve Klinkscale, the job he's done with the secondary and developing these players and putting the right people out there to succeed masterful job two really makes me want jesse mentor back though like with the system with the cover three with what he's going to do there that is a big thing kind of looming over all of this yeah, so Jesse Minter probably not taking that Eagles job, but he interviewed for a second job, didn't he? Or there was some rumors about him for a second I, job I as well. J just Eagles, just Eagles, but just there's still Eagles. nothing been confirmed yet either way. Like they haven't picked um, Nick Sirianni's former uh, coach and friend, I was the Rams, who interviewed for the job as well. So nothing's been decided yet. So it's still kind of lingering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we will get uh, Minter back, knock on wood, and yeah, Minter with Will Johnson and Marion Walker. Why would you want to step away from what this defense has coming back? Like, this could be 
elite, you know, like stacking on top of what was already incredible last year. So I fully agree that that is the number one thing to watch in a spring game and spring game coverage coming here soon. Spring draft coming here soon after you kind of washed me on our uh, (laughs) defensive Harbaugh draft with your your gamesmanship. uh, You know, if you're looking at it, a positive light trickery or just downright (laughs) dastardly deeds uh, if you're looking at it a negative light. But a win's a win's a win. So we split that one. Yeah, that was so good. It's going to be fun to like revisit and like put like our ultimate team together based off the draft picks and look at like the all team and like who did what and what it meant to each player position. But man, what a run of back to back pods the last couple of weeks. We had so much fun. Oh, absolutely. And we got a good one for you today as well. Let's move over to basketball, which is exciting to talk about again. For once. <laughs> I mean, there's been a couple weeks like where we're like, hey, we're actually going to go in depth on basketball because we don't hate our lives. We haven't been crying in our closet with a uh, with a tie strapped around our neck. Not this week. (laughs) Not this week, baby. This week we got what we are hereby dubbing the scumbag shot by by Hunter Dickinson. Now, you might not want to name it that. I don't think Hunter Dickinson's going to agree to that. But on this pod, it's the scumbag shot, baby, just against Wisconsin of all the plays to draw up too. just like, you know, what we need here is a 37 foot corner three from Hunter Dickinson. That's that's what we got to get here. But at the same time, like Hunter Dickinson was having a hell of a game. You get the ball to him from Terrence Williams, which is a difficult inbound pass. Hunter Dickinson with the wherewithal to make the one dribble and to hit that. And I mean, that shot is for sure what's going to be remembered for obviously that game, but for the season and maybe for Hunter Dickinson's career, depending on what happens the rest of the way. I mean, it had to be Hunter to make this shot. Like he's the one that called Wisconsin fans and players and coaches scumbags. He's the villain. He's the face of the program. And it's like, he stepped up in the biggest moment. He's the third option on, in my opinion, a poorly designed play where they had Buffkin run into the near corner. They had Joey Baker right behind him, which was like, okay, they're all guarding them. So Terrence Williams, shout out to him, uh, led the team in plus minus through a great pass where only Hunter could get it, recovered it. And you're like, oh, there's no way this is going in. And then he just drills it. It was unbelievable. One of the biggest shots in recent Michigan, like regular season history, just what it meant to prolong the season. Because just think about the tone, like, and this, the feeling, the vibes around the program if he misses and Michigan loses to Wisconsin at home. Yeah, another close loss probably seals your fate. I mean, every game at this point is must win. I mean, you could probably split with Illinois and Indiana and then have a decent tournament run and still get in. But I mean, these games matter so much at this point. You can tell like the energy, the intensity, especially on the defensive side of the ball has really, really ticked up in the past few weeks. The connectivity, the uh, the fact that Terrence Williams is coming off the bench now, which he seems to really have taken to you mentioned the second straight week he's leading in plus minus. So it's been a lot that has helped Doug McDaniel's a huge part of this turnaround. The Kobe Buffkin improvement is a huge part of this. So, I mean, it's happening all over and this should absolutely start to cool down some of the Juwan Howard stuff, which was, I mean, according to you and I, and I think a lot of the more like tempered people with them, both expectations and tempered on their incendiary takes. We thought that was getting a little out of control that like he should be fired this season with that was ridiculous. We're like, worst case scenario, he's on the hot seat next season. But I'm telling yeah. you, if, th- if if they get hot and they make the tournament, you can forget about even being on the hot seat next year. You're just not going to put a guy who makes the tournament, improves his team, takes a young team and gets into the tournament. You're not going to put that guy in the hot seat. 
No, and like I think the most extreme we got in our criticism was just saying like there is no player development. I believe it was after the Penn State loss where it was just like the team just completely collapsed and was like this is rock bottom right now. Like there is no excuse and like we were very critical. But again, like saying don't call for his head. Like you can have a bad season; it's going to happen. I mean, North Carolina returned four or five starters from a title runner-up team, and they are one position above Michigan right now, or two positions in Joe Lenardi's latest like. So there's a lot going on in college basketball. Very weird year in the Big Ten. Michigan is somehow still alive for the double bye. So, like, let's finish this thing out and let's see how it all concludes. And then we'll go forward with the next year. But, I mean, for the pro Joan people that were, you know, I guess very quiet in the back of their caves, this has to look very good because from a player development standpoint, Terrace Reed, Doug McDaniel, Kobe Bufkin might be Jawan's <sighs> biggest win start to finish period of his tenure. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to put a pin in that. We'll come back to that for, uh, but right for right now, Jawan Howard has the third highest win percentage in the big 10 since he was hired, you know? So that's pretty good. I feel like, and you mentioned, uh, North Carolina, some other teams that are either blue bloods had championship expectations this season, Georgetown seven and 23 under mm. Patrick Ewing, Virginia 15 and 14 North Carolina. You mentioned 18, 11 Michigan state, Pretty much the exact same record as us, 17 and 11, but behind us in conference. So this happens, like you said, those are just a few examples. It happens every year. So I'm glad that some of this talk around Juwan Howard's job has started to, to really dissipate. And you mentioned why. It is because there is no doubt now that players on this team are developing. Doug McDaniel over his last three, 18 points per game, 53% from the field, 36 from three, and one turnover in his last three games, averaging one turnover, excuse me. Just incredible stuff from him. Now, the assists aren't quite what you'd expect from your starting point guard, but just being efficient, being another option out there, his mid-range game, Mitty McDaniel, I, I love it, man. He He's really become a weapon for us out there, and uh, yet now like it makes the Jalen Llewellyn question very interesting because what you're getting from Doug McDaniel somewhat consistently now. Yeah, Doug McDaniel has just become a very smart and savvy basketball player. And it's been very cool to watch because when he has the ball, you feel like he's going to make the right decision. Like they've been doing a good job letting Hunter get established. He's been doing a much better job waiting for screens and just having command of the offense. And again, maybe, you know, we should have had a little bit more patience because he came in not expecting to start. He thought he was going to be, you know, sixth, seventh man off the bench coming in rotationally. And one thing I did not expect from him was to become a reliable, like, big shot maker. His runner's really good on both sides with his right hand. His three-point shooting's really picked up a lot. He's just playing with a lot more confidence. And on defense, while he's always going to be undersized, he can't change that. He plays with, like, a ferocity and just a tenacity of somebody that always has something to prove. And just seeing this whole team defensively improve. They've been, I believe, the best defensive team in the Big Ten since, like, January 1st like per Ken Palm. So, I mean, that's not nothing either. Like they've all learned and just grown. It's been just, it's cool to see now, like everything come, like there was a plan. And like, while at times, you know, it just looked like a pile of shit. It's like, no, there was something, <laughs> something larger at work here. And it's nice to see him kind of reap the benefits of it. Yeah, and some of that was, you know, maybe there's some Patrick Ewing theory uh, if you're a listener of the uh, the Ringer going on with Jet Howard going out, but they had to tinker with the rotations, and that's been some of it. Moving Baker and Shedder, we've seen both of them in the starting five. Seen T. Will push to the bench, and uh, you know, Jet Howard, he does take a lot of gravity out there. I mean, you got to get your shots up for Jet Howard. That's essential. Things seem to be moving around a little bit more. The ball's popping around. You know who your top two 
uh, options on offense are. That's going to be Bufkin, and that's going to be Dickinson. But just from a team chemistry standpoint, things look better over this stretch here. So I guess we have to kind of litigate the the Patrick Ewing theory here. Does Jet Howard, should he be coming off the bench when he comes back in? Should it be like Jordan Clarkson scoring threat? Like, I know that's a little bit incendiary there, but things are clicking right now. It's it's weird. I think if he comes like when, when he comes back, like he's going to be a starter. But I think things have to change about like the balance of the shots and everything like that. One thing I absolutely loved during this game was when Hunter Dickinson made that shot. When it released his hands, the first person off the bench with his arms wide and running was Jet Howard. He ran right to Hunter, and he was just fired up. He was leading the bench mob, and that's something really cool to see from your star players, especially a guy that could have probably gone and then had to deal with the fact that his dad or the head coach was not going to let him play. So I think that's awesome. I think he'd be open to it. But it has been interesting, as you alluded to, the ball's been moving around, a lot more balance in shots. You know who your leading two guys are. So maybe, you know, just you take down his shots a little bit or you just kind of pick and choose your spots a little bit more within the offense. Yeah, absolutely. And I had some criticism of Jet Howard is that he was shooting the three ball when he didn't need to do it when there was an extra pass to be made. And then he was passing up some that where it's like, no, 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 you need to take that. Like we're expecting you to take open threes or somewhat open threes. So the shot selection, I think, is going to be key when you're working Jet Howard back into this. When are those attempts coming? Because you got it like and, and honestly, like it's almost exclusively behind the arc. There's not a ton that I've seen from Jet Howard right now that's going to be get to the basket, create your own. You want that? That's Kobe Bufkin. That's Doug McDaniel. But if you want a three-point shot, you want a 17-footer, I think Jet Howard is still incredible for that. Needs to improve in a lot of areas. Certainly a willing defender. So watching how he integrates back in, I think he'll be good to go for the last two games by the sound of it. Sounded like you mentioned he could have gone against Wisconsin. So it's going to be fascinating to see how they integrate him in. But this is a good problem to have that you're just adding, arguably, your most talented scorer back into a roster that's clicking at the right time. Yeah, two games remaining at Illinois. I mean, no history there at all. Nothing on the line against them. And then uh, at Indiana Assembly Hall, where Michigan actually did win last year and played very well against Indiana at home a few weeks ago. So very winnable games down the stretch here. A lot on the line. I mean, God, it sucks like watching college basketball at large. You got to be rooting for favorites. You don't want any upsets. All the bubble teams in front of you like Michigan fans are all North Carolina haters, West Virginia haters, all the teams right in the same place. You have those teams keep stacking losses, especially teams like West Virginia, the Big 12, who have like the third hardest strength of schedule. Like you need those teams to accrue a couple more just so even if Michigan splits here and goes into the Big 10 tournament, like they have that boost above them. Yeah, and that's life on the bubble for you, like you mentioned. Like for now, we're just basically pulling for things to go chalk. Um, I want to go ahead and get this on the air before this gets taken, and it's for sure going to happen within the next couple weeks, definitely within the coming months. Just get ready for Kobe Bufkin to jump ahead of Jet Howard as an NBA draft prospect. Be ready for it. It's coming. I see it already. He plays like Drew Holiday at times. Great call. And like yeah, like not really on the defensive end yet, but like you could see the bones of it. That's Bones Buffkin, baby. That's why I called him that. Like I see the bones of what this guy could be, and it's extremely exciting. He's six four. That's great size for the two guard. Could even play a little one. I mean, definitely in like a lineup where you've got another primary ball handler out there. So I think as scouts figure this out more that like, oh, who's this Buffkin guy? And he's already out there on their radar. Expect to see him fly up the draft boards. Like this dude, he's got it. God, just stay away, please. Like, can you just imagine having one more year of the trio of Buffkin, Jet, and Hunter, what that would do next season? 
that's what I'm saying, man. Like it is there. Like it, it, it's so much going to depend on how the season ends because if they go on a run, that could be really good in the sense that they get a little feel like, man, we were really close there. Like we almost did. But at the same time, that's going to put more tape on film. And there's just not a ton of guys in this draft class outside of the top eight or nine that are really separating themselves. So a deep run could also really drive up their draft stock. So at this point, you just got to kind of sit back, root for the team, and whatever's going to happen is going to happen with those guys. But you're absolutely right, man. It's hard not to salivate about what that looks like next year. I mean, with some really good guys coming in as well. Yeah, I mean, good class coming in. Doug's coming back. You don't have to hit the transfer portal. It appears Jalen Llewellyn's coming back as well to keep that depth alive. Uh, Baker's gone, and that's the only piece. Joey Baker is the only one gone. Everybody else could come back. So it's tough to think about. Like maybe I dream, but like I, I hate to accept the fact that last Saturday or the Sunday, sat, Sunday was Kobe Bufkin's last game at Chrysler. That, yeah, that would be really unfortunate because you weren't even thinking about it at the time. Like that was not a storyline. Like could be Jed Howard and Kobe Bufkin's last ride. Like you don't think about it, but it's certainly going to be on the table. Both already have first round projections. Hunter Dickinson probably coming back for another year in what I've read. And Jonathan uh, Gavoni over at Draft Express had a discussion the other day about next year's draft class. It is historically weak. They're like one of the weakest they've seen in 20 years. So there could be something there like you might be able to push. Like if you guys come back, you could both be top five picks. Like that's not out of the question with what they're saying next year. Bronny James has already like moved up to a top 10 pick. Simply just <laughs> there's just nobody else. There's nobody else in the draft class. There's nobody else in his dad's LeBron. That was so ridiculous that like a Sierra Canyon goes to the playoffs and loses. And all of a sudden it's like, hey. Hey, Bronny, Bronny moving up the board now. Look, look at him. Top 10 pick. It's a, he's a four-star recruit. That is absurd. That is ass. No, God. I. No, you're you're way too locked in on the LeBron James thing. There's nobody else he's there. He's a four-star he's... recruit. There's a million of them. So is Kobe Bufkin. He hasn't played in college yet, though, and developed. If you told me Kobe Bufkin last year as a four-star recruit is going to be a top 10 pick, you'd have stopped doing the podcast with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would not have, sir. I would have said that's insane development. We got one with Juwan Howard. That's what I would have said. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's just. All right. Oh, no. We're not doing LeBron James. We're not litigating LeBron James here. Like, I love that this argument's going to keep going for another 20 years because his son's going to be in the NBA and you're going to well, hate it. You're well, also, hate LeBron, it. He's not going to be, but LeBron's still going to be. LeBron's going to have a longer NBA career, like from now, than his son is. All right, bet. All right, all right. We're going to have to look, make a little gentleman's bet about that. The kid plays defense, man. 6'4", six, 6'5", six, plays defense. He's getting drafted. Just deal with it. Just deal with it, brother. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got a fun segment that we're going to do. We looked at the most surprising things that happened for the Michigan football team in 2022. We're not going to draft. We've done a couple drafts. We're going to power rank. These are totally different exercises. We're going to power rank uh, our top five out of a pretty interesting list and possibly another segment. We'll see if we have time. We'll be back right after this. Good people listening to Out of the Blue need to take a moment to shout out our sponsors for this podcast, Home Field Apparel. In case you aren't familiar and you've been living in a cave somewhere in southern Utah, they're a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. Not only is their stuff comfy, but it's officially licensed gear. So you don't need to mess around with some of the imposters that are out there, and they don't mess around with their design selection. The home field team studies the history, traditions, and legacy of every school, takes that information, they create thoughtful designs that tell a unique story of each university. 
Homefield has some brand new Michigan designs that you will not find anywhere else. That's just the facts. From t-shirts to hoodies and crew necks, they have it all. So you can proudly represent the maize and blue wherever you go. So if you want some brand new, good-looking Michigan swag, head over to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo Michigan 15 for 15% off your order. That's not just for one item. That's the entire order. So stock up while you have this offer. Again, that's 15% using the promo code Michigan15 at homefieldapparel.com. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Breaking news, people. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpets by going to manscaped.com and using the code MMB20 for 20% off and free shipping. Look, I'm a man that knows the importance of a beard. The beard ties the face together like a good rug ties a room together. It's the unifying bridge between chin and scalp. I've yet to see a man's face made worse with a strong beard in my lifetime. And it's the only facial hair that will never go out of style. It's time to tame your mane because no one likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped Pro Beard Kit. All starts with the beard hedger thing is a beast of fixing faces. First off, the cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. Plus, it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. ProKit doesn't end there, though. They've created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. There's the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse, easier to damage than your hair on your head. That's why this kit has made shampoo and conditioner specifically designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replete those natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a beard who's brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the Beard Balm pomade shape style moisturize, tame your sculpted look. Pro Beard Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. All right, coming back. Got a fun segment on this one. Another podcast we're excited about. We're going to power rank the most surprising happenings of the 2022 football season. Started to make this list uh, about yesterday, and I was taken aback by how many surprising things that there were. And we're going to steal this format exactly from the ringer, where most surprising is basically in April or this time last year, whatever you want to pick preseason. If I would have told you that, like what level of belief would you have had of that? Like some of these are like, I would have slapped you in the face. If you would have told me some of them, some of them you might've been able to talk me into. So, uh, you want to go through this thing, sir? <clears throat> yeah. Do you want me to start reading them off the top? You want me to save a few? What do you want me to do? Yeah, here? we can just kind of go through them. If you want to take 10, I'll take 10. You can go from the top, the bottom, however you want to do it. 
Okay, I'll go ahead and read some of these off. Uh, you put <clears throat> most of these together. You said you put the list, uh, worked on it yesterday. Uh, most surprising happenings of the 2022 football season. So here's a few of them. The prowess of Will Johnson. I believe you're referring to him becoming cornerback one, a top 10 projected pick this year if you were eligible, shutting down Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, Charlie Jones, and playing really well against Quentin Johnson. I would mark that as surprising. Yes. Uh, number two, 12-0 back-to-back Big Ten champs. 12-0 and also key there, just having yeah. an undefeated season. Uh, the Matt Weiss hacking scandal, which is still open. Uh, the cheeseburger scandal, which is just ridiculous. Losing to TCU, ouch. Yeah. <clears throat> the sack leader only having seven and a half sacks in 14 games. Mason Graham's emergence as a force on the interior as a freshman. Beating Ohio State without Blake Corum. Jake Moody's 59-yarder sets the college football playoff record and the Michigan record. Undefeated in closest reg- in a close regular season game against Illinois, including a game-winning field goal by Jake Moody. Colston Loveland's emergence. Now I'll let you take the rest here. All right. Mikey Sainer still adjusts from wide receiver to cornerback and becomes a star. Eric All and Cade McNamara transfer out of the program to Iowa. Kalel Mullings completes one of the most important passes of the year. Blake Corum on the verge of breaking single season rushing records. Mozzie Smith gun charges. Blake Corum five touchdown game. Is there anything we're forgetting? <clears throat> no, I don't think because I mean you could go into the nitty gritty and be like a starting quarterback's not decided until week three or JJ McCarthy this and that. But I think that's I think we have the gist of the exercise here because I don't want to be like, man, do you really think Roman Wilson was going to have more than three hundred yards or something stupid like right. that? But this is this is the good list, very high level, not too niche in the trenches. All right, so I'm going to pick the first one to remove. <laughs> Tell me if you agree. I'm going to go ahead and remove Blake Corm five touchdown game just because we saw Hassan Haskins with a five touchdown game. We knew Blake Corm was going to be great. So if you told me that preseason, I'd be like, wow, impressive. But I believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Was that against UConn? I believe it was early too. It wasn't one of the key games. Yeah, was, I believe it was UConn. Yeah. Five touchdowns against UConn. Yeah, we can take that one off. Like you said, it really fresh in our memory from uh, Hassan Haskins having just done it against Ohio State in that performance. And it's like, if you told me Blake Corm's going to have five in a game, it probably would have been like, yeah, it makes sense. Yep, absolutely. All right, sir, what do you propose we remove from this list? All right, the next one I propose we take off this list is uh, Jake Moody makes a 59-yarder to set the college football playoff record. Uh, if you told me before the year he's going to make a 59-yarder, I mean, I, I would have been – I would have been very surprised, but I've seen we've seen him hit over 50 before, and it's like, okay, he gets the wind. This happens. I could see it happening. Interesting. I would have this higher. Like, if we were doing top 10, I would think this is going to be, like, just outside of the top five because, I mean, it set the college football playoff and Michigan record. So I guess the key factor is we believed in Jake Moody coming into the season, right? Like, that's why it wouldn't have been too crazy to suggest that because we were already on board with this guy as one of the all-time greats at Michigan. Yeah, he just won the Lou Groza Award. Like, I mean, every, all this, my stock couldn't have been higher. And if we're just doing a top five for this season, there, I just can't put that one up there. Okay, all right, for sure. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get rid of that one. Uh, let's go ahead and remove um, Eric Alcade McNamara transfer. Now, both of, them, both of them going to Iowa is a little surprising. And maybe you could separate these. And Eric All, I think, is more surprising than Cade McNamara. But since we have them grouped together here, I think we saw the writing on the wall 
with JJ McCarthy emerging, we kind of workshop this. We're like, if he does emerge, what do you have with Cade McNamara? The Eric all part is interesting and we can litigate that a little further if you'd like. Yeah, that one's a lot more fascinating because, I mean, even as up to Ohio State, Eric All was there at the game on the sidelines participating as, like, you know, an- another coach on the field, an extension of the players. So I think that's the shock here. Maybe we, we take take that one further. I still don't know if it would crack the top five of this season, though, even if they're set. That's where it's at for me is that, like, there's just some other ones that are more surprising for me. And, like, I guess we could have workshopped that out and got to Eric All transferring, but that's a pretty complicated path and a lot of of it had to do with the relationship between Cade McNamara and Eric Hall. And I don't think we knew too much about like how close those dudes were. So it was very surprising when Eric Hall went. So that might be like just outside of the top five as well for me. But yeah, I'm, I'm fine with striking that one through if you're, if you're good with that. Over under seven and a half wins for Iowa next season. Over. I'll go over. I think they can get to eight wins. I mean, it, it, it's very interesting, though. Like, I'm just getting higher on some of those teams in the West, and I don't know that they're necessarily improving. But I think, like, long term, I think they improved short term for next year. And schedule isn't necessarily that daunting. I'll go over. Where do you see it? Uh, just under. I think I'm going to go right around seven wins. I think they're. I think I do think they'll struggle because Brian Ferentz is still associated with the offense. Uh, offensive line gets a little more experience. Defense loses some key pieces, except uh, Cooper DeGene returns. Super, super. I mean, he's only. I think he's a sophomore next year or junior. He's very young, so that's a good piece to have. So they still have some uh, things that'll help them win games. But with Wisconsin on the rise, like Purdue on the rise, like it's like there's a lot of things that's going to go in their way. And plus, it's going to be fun to root against Cade Mack. Oh, I'm going to be doing it. I'll be right there with you on that one, brother. All right, what do you want to strike through here? Uh, Next one I want to remove is uh, undefeated and closest regular season game against Illinois. Because in 2021, you saw Michigan can have those up and down games, as any team does, like out on the road in Nebraska last season, where Michigan needed a big push at the end, or at home against Rutgers last season. Like those type of games happen. So if you told me before the year there's going to be a close one and it's going to be a rising Illinois team, like I wouldn't have thought they were rising at the time. I could believe it, though. Right. The second part of this is we added the undefeated and the closest regular season game was Illinois. What would I mean, if you were predicting, you'd be like, yeah, I would guess uh, if we went undefeated, we had really close ones against Penn State and Ohio State or maybe Michigan State. and We had to sneak one of them out. No, those three were all very much in hand. It was Illinois that was the struggle. Not unheard of. You could have talked me into it, though. I would have been like, wow, like that means we handled business against our rivals. That is surprising, but not going to make my top five either. Um, I'm going to go ahead and remove losing to TCU simply because if you would have told me that my first reaction would be like, Oh, we're playing TCU. Like we must've had a rough season. How did we like end up against TCU? The fact TCU made it is extremely surprising. Um, but yeah, if you told me we lost to TCU, I'm going to game that out and I'm be like, okay, we made a bowl game. We must've finished like 10 and two TCU must've been pretty good. And we just kind of phoned it in for the bowl game, the way it happened. And with all the buildup and stuff. That was very surprising, but we're saying like this time last year, if you would have told me that, I, yeah. I could have probably <clears throat> workshopped that and gotten to that. That makes sense because if you told me that, you know, three weeks before, like, yeah, you're going to get lose, you're going to lose to him like this. You're never going to lead the game. Like, this is how it's going to happen. You're going to be inside the two. Yeah, we're not going to get yeah, out that road. Like, yeah, could have seen it coming. But yeah, 100%. Like, if we're talking like last April, like, hey, these are what's going to happen after the spring game. It's like, okay, probably, uh, you know, pretty decent season went to like the, Fiesta Bowl or Sugar Bowl or something, you know, one of the New York Six, and, you know, wasn't our day, as most bowls haven't been under Harbaugh. That's true. All right, sir, what do you think? Okay, next one I'm going to strike off this list. 
man, some of these are getting tough. Yeah, we're getting there. Um, okay. Sack leader only having seven and a half through 14 games. I'm going to take that one off because before the year you and I discussed that we thought it was going to be around nine and a half under 10, I think was the consensus, Mm -hmm. but we didn't think it was going to be this low seven and a half and 14 is just a not good number. That is a bad number. It is surprising. The team overall sack total was better than 2021, but having no individual over seven and a half was a disappointment. So if you combined that and said like in April of last year, March of last year, I was like, we're going to have more sacks than the Hutchinson Ojabo year, but not one single contributor is going to have seven and a half sacks. Like, does that make it more surprising? Like the combination of more total team output, but not a dominant pass rusher. I don't think so. Just because of the roster coming into the year, we were kind of expecting it to be spread out. I would have bought a hell of a lot of TJ guy stock. <laughs> I can tell you that I much. Still- like, oh, he's going to, I still got it. Like he's going to contribute, but no, I definitely would have thought it would have been a team kind of effort. Okay. All right. That's a good one. We can get rid of that one. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of Blake Corum on the verge of breaking several season rushing records. I mean, look, we knew what we had with the offensive line. We knew what we had coming back with Blake Corum. We were high on him. If you would have told me like, it's going to be potentially, I mean, it would have broken a lot of records had he have stayed healthy. So the fact that he didn't, the fact that we knew what we had coming back with Joe Moore Ward offensive line, and then a Remington finalist coming in as our only uh, position that we needed to fill. I was pretty on board with our rushing attack. So it wouldn't have surprised me too much. No, we were, I mean, I don't think anyone could have been higher than us on Blake Corm coming into this year with the offensive line, with his expectation, finally healthy and everything like, oh yeah, a lot of these are in the realm of possibility. We thought a few were shoe-ins until he got injured. So that makes a lot of sense. Next one I'm going to strike is the cheeseburger scandal because the NCA continues to be just stupid, unpredictable. Did you happen to see the first NIL punishment, by the way? I did not, no. Oh, the uh, University of Miami women's basketball team uh, in, committed infractions of NIL, so they got punished. That's who they went I'm after. not kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, what an indictment on – I mean, this is not a knock on the Miami women's basketball program. No need for them to catch strays here. But that pretty clearly shows you, like, where their level of power and control is at. If they're like, yeah, I don't think we can do this Michigan thing. Too many people are going to notice. But this Miami women's basketball program, I think we can sneak <laughs> that one in under the radar. What I really think they're doing is like they're they're punishing somebody so low level that it's not going to make waves. Like it's going to go very like un, not, very unreported. And now when somebody else commits something similar, they can be like, "Hey, look, we have a precedent now. Right. We punish them, so now we got to punish you." It's just stupid. Like if you want to have rules, enforce all the rules. Like don't say, "Hey, we did it to them. We got to do it to you now." It's just it's such a cowardly way to enforce the rules. So them coming after Jim Harbaugh with the cheeseburger wouldn't have surprised me. <laughs> it certainly would have puzzled me if you told me the. Same- circumstances i would be like well this is odd but i guess knowing the ncaa okay (laughs) like this might happen uh all right yeah i'm happy to strike that one i'm gonna go ahead and go in a similar vein and strike the mozzie smith gun charges this these things happen year in and year out it is certainly with what we know now way 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 lower level than what's happening with the brandon miller situation at alabama ended up being not a huge deal so if you'd have told me there would have been a minor like firearm just like discrepancy with mozzie smith there was a minor charge that came from it that's not the craziest thing in the world no like you said these things happen so it's like you're gonna tell me that's going to happen to mozzie smith but okay you know must have been just one of those times so 
All right, the next one I'm going to strike off of here. We're getting it's it getting a little tight. I'm going to take the Colston Loveland emergence off. Okay. Like, this is a tough one. Like, did not expect him to be where he is at all. But, like, even coming into the year, like, you can go back to any of our recruiting pods, like, entering the 2022 season. I was very high on Colston Loveland. Like, I was, like, top kid out of Iowa. I knew all the stats about it. Like, if someone was going to break out, it could be him. Especially if you told me it's coupled with an Eric All injury. It's like, Okay, this definitely makes sense. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a tough one. Like you said, we're getting into the ones now that are very surprising. Like, and you were a huge Loveland guy. Like, you've been on him, and there's another guy that's still on this list that I was really high on. But I don't think even in our wildest dreams, we thought it would be at the level that it's at as a freshman. So that part is extremely surprising. There's just some things that I have above it. Um, this one we might need to litigate. The Matt Weiss hacking scandal. And I'm only saying that because I don't know anything about Matt Weiss coming into this year. I certainly don't know anything about his extracurricular activities or what he's doing behind the keyboard on his weekends off. So, like, if you would have told me that, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what is he doing and why is he doing that? But, like, I guess you could have explained it to me and talked me into it. What do you think, though? Oh, man, this one's really tough because, like, even when it happened, like, I still haven't processed everything. It's ongoing. Like, I don't really know what happened, why it did. Like, can you ever remember any, like, anything else like this from another coach? I cannot. There's very few parallels. There's one of my all-time favorite stories about the the stripper whose name was Pole Assassin and, the like, the chimpanzee that was going down. What was that? Oh, oh yeah, I love that story. Just that was awesome. Absolutely incredible and way more off the wall than the hacking scandal. So, like, because there's a precedent of, like, just weird stuff happening with coordinators, if you would have told me hacking, that's like, if, if I'm watching a movie, if you're making a movie, give me the Pole Assassin chimpanzee story 10 times out of 10 over the hacking scandal you and i often talk about there's not enough original movies there it is there's your movie right there pole assassin orangutans let's go the name's already um, okay pole assassin is a tremendous film title all right we'll take that one off i think i have my next one that's going to bring it down to five but i do have an honorable mention to bring up as okay. well okay so the next one i'm going to scratch to bring us down to it'll be five is mason graham like, it's very tight right here with the rest of them. But I just feel like if you told me Mason Graham, especially if you told me after the spring game, I'd be like, okay, I can buy this. Kid with a wrestling background, really sought out of after the Northwest, emerges. Okay, like, it would be it would be surprising, don't get me wrong, because it took Aubrey Solomon. He's still trying to figure out how to play interior defensive line somewhere. And Mason Graham figured it out before he was 19. Like, that's very shocking. But it's like, I could see it with the talent. A high four-star kid, big motor, good background. I could see it happening. Yeah, and this was my pick for guy that's going to explode that no one's expecting. So good on us for hitting on our Mason Graham and Colston Loveland pick. So I was definitely there, but being the gift to the football gods, being that reliable as a friend, freshman in a position we just don't see a ton of that uh, Maurice Hurst came in as a freshman was really good but Mason Graham came in and was above where Maurice Hurst was as a freshman extremely surprising but I'm okay here we're into the top five now so everything in this top five is is really good what was your honorable mention honorable mention would be rushing for the most yards that Penn State's allowed since 1947 wow yeah, that at least needs to be mentioned. Yeah, that's going back. I mean, those, those boys were just fresh off the war. <laughs> I know. Like, if you told me, like, again, like, it's got to be in the discussion. Like, I still don't think it cracks this top five just because, like, okay, Michigan was at home against Penn State, the dual running backs, the good offensive line. I could see it happening. Wouldn't have predicted it by any means, but yeah, the 400-yard performance there it needs needs to have a mention. Yeah, absolutely. So we have five here. This is not the order. These are just the top five in some order. The prowess of Will Johnson, 12-0, Big Ten back-to-back -back champs. 
uh, beating Ohio State without Blake Corum, Mikey Sainer still adjusts to his new position and becomes a star in his first year with that position. All right, sir. Now it's going to be extremely difficult. Where do you think number five is? Or do we need to go with number one first in order to work backwards? Let's do five and go up. Okay. All right. Um, Let's litigate this then. Um, I twelve and zero. Nominate one. I'll nominate one. All right. I'll nominate Will Johnson. He's a five star. Like I mean, maybe we even took him too high. He was a five star, one of the highest rated recruits that we've brought in. I'm fine with putting that at five. The only reason that he made it this far is because they're saying he's a top ten player in all of college football. Like it's the level to which he got. No one could have predicted that. I mean, you could say this guy's going to be a five star. Like it, it's going to take some time, but watch out. He could end up being a top 10 player to do it in one year is insanity. That's a good one. That's really good. Um, the next other one I'm going to nominate is 12 and 0 back to back big 10 champs because before the year, like coming in, like our expectations were sky high looking at the uh, schedule. It's like, okay, we have to go at Ohio state. That's very difficult, but everybody else was at home. Like we weren't really like Frank afraid of maybe Iowa at Kinnick, but like that was quickly alleviated. So it's like, you could easily see the path to being 12 and 0 and back to back chance after summoning the mountain once you knew they could do it again. Yeah. I'm with you. Let's go ahead and put that at five. The only reason is because 12 and 0 is so difficult to do. We've never seen it. We haven't covered it. And like even next year, I'm probably picking 11 and one again, because that's what we both picked. I think coming into the season was 11 and one. It's, it's just so much easier to, to lose a game than it is to win every single game. You get a target on your back. We're going to have a huge target on our back next year. It is no easy feat to do, but I'm fine putting that at five. So that means Will Johnson at four. Yes, I'm fine with that. Okay, I'm good with that as well. All right, so now we are down to Mikey Sainer still. We are down to beating Ohio State without Blake Corum. And we are Kalel Mullings completes one of the most important passes of the year. These are This is a tough top three. Uh, I'm going to say Mikey Sainer still here. I agree. I agree. I think it's got to be him because, again, you could have talked me into it with about certain things, like the way Mikey is, the team guy, the physicality he played with, the cornerback, height, like I played corner in high school, was very, was very successful at it. And just like you know him as a leader on the team. And if you told me this after the spring game, oh, uh, brother, this would be number 40 on the list then because the spring game, you and I saw him cover Andrew Anthony and we're like, oh, yeah. It's there in one play. We knew it was there. If you told me before the spring game, it still would have taken me like some a while to get there, especially to the level he reached, the caged over pass breakup, like taking it to that moment. Yeah, that has to be number three. Yep, I agree. And I think the timing of this is key as well for these last two, because if you told me in the offseason we beat Ohio State without Blake Corum, my thought would be Donovan Edwards took his job and like was just an unstoppable force of nature. I would have gamed, I would have gamed that out differently and thought like, okay, somebody else emerged or like, I I don't know. But if you would have told me right before the game that we're going to go in or like a couple weeks beforehand that we're going to go in without Blake Corum, that seemed pretty unbelievable. So I'm fine with putting that at two here. What do you think? Yeah, 100%, because you could have easily constructed the narrative of, hey, Donovan Edwards really stepped up. Corm was out late with something, like just went down. But, but behind the offensive line, behind all the old teamy, Sharon Moore, and the, just everything that's there. Like, okay, they put it together. McCarthy opened up the offense. There's a case to be made. But, like, brother, there is no case to be made 
in any world realm that you could convince me that Khalil Mullings was going to make one of the most important passes of the season. That, not a place. It does not exist. That is where we were at. Khalil Mullings was an afterthought. I don't even think we drafted him in our spring game last year. He was like <laughs> undrafted, and he comes in and just makes one of the all-time throws. I mean, it wasn't even that great of a throw. It was behind him, but the balls, the cojones to draw that up in that moment, it still baffles me. Every time I rewatch it, I'm like, I'm sorry, what did we do? I still can't believe that that's what happened. I, I vividly remember being uh, you and I watching the game together in the basement and like it's happening and like we're all standing up nervous, a big third down play. And then he rises up and like my, my, my leg, like my right knee just gave out. I was like, what, what, what is this? What, what is happening? Like no play has ever like broken my brain as like a, as like a football film grinder and given me a heart attack as a fan quite like that play. Like I didn't know what was happening. We need the footage of you and me watching that Ohio State game. Just like I think there was like three heart attacks. I had a seizure in there. I like broke a rib from like, it was just utter madness with that game. And that was like one of the key moments where we're just like, what is happening, sir? It's, it, it's so like the timing you brought up of the quorum one at number two is so important. Cause if you told us that like at halftime of this game, that Donovan Edwards was going for 200 yards, uh, Kalel Mullings is going to have the most important pass and all this stuff. None of that was in the realm of possibility. So uh, we're introducing a new segment starting this week, the what the hell is going on moment. This is our what the hell is going on moment for the week and for the year of 2022. What the hell is going on? I mean, what the hell is going on? Yeah. So, uh, all right, man, let's do this next segment real quick. We got a little bit of time for it. Uh, We are going to power rank the teams in the state of Michigan that have the best chance to win a title soon. So we're going to go through all of those options here. You you know them all, but that would be Detroit Tigers, Lions, Pistons, Red Wings, Michigan football, Michigan basketball, Michigan hockey, Michigan state football. We're going to stay out of, um, you know, some Eastern Michigan. Sorry, you won't be represented here. I'm sure your baseball team's got a hell of a shot, but we're sticking with the, the most watched ones here, the bigger sports. We're going to throw hockey in there. So uh, let's go ahead and power rank this, sir. I think I know the number one lowest, without a doubt. There are 10 teams here. I'm going to go ahead and power rank and put Michigan State football least likely to win. I don't like what they're bringing back. I don't like the defense. I don't like that they're trying to solve all their problems through the transfer portal. I don't trust Peyton Thorne. This was the number 125 pass defense. They have one returning starter at cornerback. This is a team that's extremely far from a national title. And look who's in their division. Like It's just not happening. It's us in their division. I don't see it. The only other team I would nominate here is the Tigers. Yeah. Because it is bleak. I, I don't think there's any – if I told you next year the Tigers are in the World Series or MSU's in the playoff, like what, do you, what blows you away more? Probably still Michigan State in the playoffs because of the fact that there's 130 teams and that means they got through Michigan and Ohio State. There's only, what, 30 baseball teams? Like that part of it is what makes it. But yeah, like those are the two teams I'm looking at here. Tigers record in 2022, 66 and 96. They were fourth in the AL. We've seen teams turn it around. I mean, they've got A.J. Hinch is the manager. They've got some key pieces with Torkelson, Riley Green, Tarek Skubal. It's bad. It's bad, but that's my number two. I've got it Michigan State football, then Tigers. We cool with that? Or you do you want to go Tigers? That, 
It's uh, let's go ahead and put the Tigers at the bottom, just so you know we can avoid you know being too biased on one side or the other. I think we're just splitting hairs between them anyway. And also, we say there's 130 teams in college football that can make the playoff, but we really know it's the Power Five. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Okay, <laughs> I'm fine with that. So yeah, we'll try not to upset the uh, the, the Michigan Michigan State fans that are for some reason listening to this podcast. Then we'll put them at, <laughs> at nine, right behind the inept Detroit Tigers. Uh, then things get interesting. What do you know about Michigan State hockey? Is that because that's where I was going to go here? Uh, Michigan State hockey. Oh man, see the thing is, they just had, uh, their new head coach, I think it's Brad Nightingale, came over this year and has just revolutionized the program. Dylan Saint Cyr, their goaltender, is one of the best in the country. He's going to be gone after this season, and they're right on the outside looking in right now. But I don't, I don't think just because of how hockey is, and like he's so, so good of a coach, and what he's done with a bad roster this year to have them in contention. Don't think I can put him right here. You don't think that you can put them at eight. You think there's less likely teams here. I think the Pistons are less likely. Okay. Okay. So you could see MSU hockey next year. No way for the Pistons next year. Yes. Yes. I'm fine with that. Pistons, yep. uh, key players, Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran, and they have their number one pick. They're going to add some more talent to it. Probably going to have a new coach. They got a good GM there. So long-term outlook yeah, but I think for like next year or even the year after that, unlikely. So I'm fine with the yeah. I'm fine with the Pistons there. Is this Michigan State hockey then at seven? I, I think it's Michigan State hockey. Unless you think Michigan State basketball. That's where I'm at. But I mean, with Tom Izzo and the recruiting class that they have coming in, they have got maybe their best That's recruiting good class ever coming in. So I'm I struggle to put them too low here and you know i just trust Izzo slightly i mean he's, he's it's it's a little bit rocky of late but i mean the pedigrees there all right do you so go we can go msu hockey then red wings you think probably red wings now i don't know enough ab about nhl i'm just now getting back because i'm a fair weather detroit red wings fan and only when they're in this position uh, which is just outside of right now currently out of the playoffs they are sitting at i got it right here 22 23 and or excuse me 23 28 22 and 8 in the Atlantic, they are fifth in the Atlantic division. They have Dylan Larkin, who's contract extension eligible, Maurice Sider, who I love, Lucas Raymond, and their goalie, V.A. Husso, who's, I can't even pronounce the name, quietly moved into the top 15 goalkeepers. So there's some pieces there, but I don't see it next year. That would be too soon. But things can turn around quickly in the NHL, and I think pretty much everyone in Detroit is on board with uh, Iserman as the, the GM. Yeah, th these uh, MSU hockey and the Red Wings are very like back and forth for me. If the Red Wings hadn't been so hot recently, I don't think I would move them here. But the team really, it seems to like really start to get some momentum again for the first time in a while. So I really think that's why we got to have them just above MSU hockey here. Okay, now we have a debate. I think we're on to Michigan State basketball versus Detroit Lions. Let me make the Detroit Lions case. They're in the NFC. You don't have to get through that gauntlet of Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes. And Justin Herbert, if you want to include him in there, really like it's Philadelphia right now. And that I don't know how much I buy it as being like every year kind of thing. I think that they've like they've set the culture there and that's going to be a, a really quality team for a while. But the NFC is just easier to navigate. They finished really hot. They're bringing back everybody. They convinced Ben Johnson to come back. They have the third most draft capital with a GM that just absolutely knocked their draft out of the park. Key returning players is a long list from Jared Goff, Aiden Hutchinson, Amon Ross St. Brown, Kirby Joseph, Jameson Williams, Panay Sewell, and the entire offensive line, Jamal Williams. And I mentioned the draft capital. Lions are kind of loaded, 
And then you've got Michigan State basketball, who I mentioned, bringing in arguably their best draft class or their best recruiting class. But once again, more college basketball teams, a lot harder to win a championship there, only 32 football teams. So how do you see this one? It's very tough because you could go to like recent history and say Tom Izzo has reached the Final Four just a few years ago. He does have a national championship like to his name. And the Detroit Lions are the Lions. Don't are the Lions. That, I think that's the only thing holding me back. But everything you said is correct. And there's so much just positive, good vibes around the Lions trending for, especially at the end of the season. Like everything around them makes you feel good. And do you know how in the beginning we, like, we decided we weren't going to be homers and not put Michigan State last? Yeah. We're going to put the Detroit Lions ahead of them now. Let's go. I was there for it. Bounce it out a little bit. <laughs> I love it. I was th- leaning the same way. So we'll go Michigan State basketball at five. And that puts the Detroit Lions at four. Like if you told me the Lions won the Super Bowl next year, the only reason it would surprise me is because of what we said. It's the Lions. And these things just don't happen to the Detroit Lions. But everything on paper, everything on the field looks as good as it's looked in Detroit since the Calvin Johnson, Matthew Stafford, and Dominican Sue era, you know? Do we put the Lions above Michigan basketball? <sighs> Maybe. Uh, that, see, that's tough because like – yeah, We're, I think we need to we might have to move Michigan basketball somewhere in there. Michigan basketball is the hardest one on this list because you could tell me Michigan basketball like we'll know in a couple months here, like what the returning talent is. But the returning pieces could be Terrace Reed, Hunter Dickinson, Doug McDaniel, Jet Howard, Kobe Bufkin with George Washington, the third and Papa Conte incoming. Like if that's what you have, that's like a final four team to me but I really doubt we're going to be able to bring all those key pieces back. So we don't have enough information here. So I'm fine with putting Michigan basketball, then Detroit lions. I, I, I honestly like, I, Oh man, this is tough. Cause I honestly kind of want to put Michigan basketball, like in that red wings tier. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And maybe, maybe you're right there. Maybe you're right. Maybe the Red Wings have a better shot than Michigan basketball. I mean, like, same thing. There's a lot more basketball teams, a lot more parity. Very difficult to win a title, you know, especially once you get into tournament settings, you know? Yeah. I I think we bump them up there because I feel like it's in that MSU, like, in between MSU hockey and Red Wings. Like, because, like, you could could convince me, but a lot of things have to fall into place that we just haven't seen. So we're really kind of going out on a limb, like, as far as coaching and this. And, like, I, I... I, I hate to put Michigan State basketball above them, but like coming off the shooting, the emotional like turbulence in that game, in the first game, how good they were, like it's very tough. So like to bring it, rein in my homerism a little bit. I think we need to put Michigan basketball in the middle there. All right, so we'll move Michigan basketball back down to six. We'll move Detroit Red Wings up to four, which feels high, but I, I guess, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I, I do trust the culture is certainly in place with Red Wings hockey. There's no culture issue with hockey in Detroit. That's for sure. I mean, the, the, uh, the history is there. So that puts Detroit lions at three. It's what it looks like, man. I absolutely love it. Now the top two, for those of you who weren't keeping track, they're both in home baby. And that's why I wanted to do this exercise. Is it hockey or is it football? Oh man, this is so tough because Michigan hockey right now, the number four team in the country, number four in pair wise, really setting up for it. Uh, tough road ahead, very tough road ahead, especially when you factor in the injuries and the lack of continuity on the team. Michigan football really expected to be in the top four, maybe even the top two. Very easy schedule, as people want to point out online. The non-conference is easy. I care. So it's like the the, the path is there for both teams. So it's like. How do we separate this? Mm -hmm. It's extremely difficult. And I need you here for the hockey part of it, because 
football, the expectations have never been higher. We're going to probably start the season at number two, number three, if someone wants to be cheeky. But this is going to start as a team that's expected to make the college football playoff. You've made the final four the past two years. So that's my biggest argument for Michigan football. They've been on the doorstep two years in a row now. Last year, like, really felt like we left one out there with TCU and felt like, had we have gotten to that national championship game, I know we're putting up a better fight than TCU did against Georgia. So, like, that was extremely close last year. Just a weird game against TCU. And look at what is coming back. So I've got Michigan football at one, but you're if you can talk me into Michigan hockey, the floor is yours. No, I think you have it correct because look at the road next year in football as well. Like Michigan's the only Final Four team that brings their quarterback back. On defense, you bring back eight starters. The transfers coming in bring so much. Like, there's no just like overwhelming thing. Georgia's going to be really good again, but they also have to replace a ton of pieces and the quarterback and their offensive coordinator. Alabama's got more question marks than I can remember in the Nick Saban era when you factor in coordinators, quarterback, and everything else. So, I think it has to be football one, especially two, because in hockey, one half of Michigan's production on the ice is coming from freshmen. That is very uh, that's outrageous to have that number and two hockey is single elimination it might have the most variance of any of these sports we're talking about like if they were going to game sevens i would feel a lot more comfortable but it's like if it's like just one game against quinnipiac and a hot goaltender or against minnesota and that top line of snipers of snuggerud uh uh, Logan Cooley and Matthew Nyes like it is just it is devastating to think about they could do that against an experienced team so I think hockey has to be two and I think football one his name is Snuggaroos what is he from like a line of adult diaper making family like what is that <laughs> Jimmy Snuggaroo dude kids a dog out there like that team is so annoyingly good it just it may frustrate but Michigan has played them really well when healthy both games went to OT so a lot to watch there, man. Like, a lot to watch. But, like, with the college football landscape, football and everything we talked about, I think it's got to be number one. I think so, too. So, to recap, number 10, Detroit Tigers. Number 9, Michigan State football. I think Michigan State football is lower than the Tigers, but whatever. <laughs> this is semantics at the bottom of the list. Detroit Pistons, Michigan State hockey, Michigan basketball, Michigan State basketball, Detroit Red Wings, Detroit Lions, Michigan hockey, Michigan football. I like this list. I think this is correct or very close to correct. I think so as well. Like some people might they say the Red Wings should be lower. But again, like hockey's wacky, man. If you can get an eight seed in these seven game series, we've seen it happen more often than not. Like an upset happens in hockey. So a team can get hot. They have a lot of things going forward. Dylan Larkin, Michigan man. So it's yes. easy to root for, even, even though I'm admittedly a Blackhawks fan, but we don't have to talk about that. We're getting the number one pick. So it's fine. The uh, No, I, I love this list. This is a fun exercise and really kind of puts the short sports like in just like a, a nice viewpoint. Yeah. And like Michigan in general sports are in like a really good place right now compared to where they were. Like it's not perfect. And the, oh, yeah. the Tigers are dragging things down a little bit. But the Lions being good again, the Pistons having a guy at the helm that I think people trust and are trending in the right direction. NBA is getting really, really difficult. Like, honestly, there might be an argument to put Pistons lower if you want to, like, workshop all the talent on all these other teams. There's an argument for that. Like, they've got what are your James Wiseman thoughts. My James Wiseman thoughts are that I did not like the move because there's now four big men that you got to find touches for. You got to what are you trying to push Durin to the bench, which is what they were saying initially. Um, but he's he's. He's looking okay. He definitely is a guy that did not get his fair shake in Golden State. But you're also trying to win games next year. Are you going to try and develop all these big men while trying to win games? That's why Pistons could move lower. Like, I don't think they're – I think they're in the lottery again next season. 
God, it's so disheartening, too, because entering this year, I think they would have been a lot higher on this list, definitely above the Lions. Yeah, well, I mean, we thought we were going to have Cade Cunningham, and, like, I don't know, is this going to be a thing? If Cade Cunningham is, like, an injury risk, which I have no reason to believe it's anything other than just this one issue, but if that keeps cropping up, the like Grant Hill comparisons were already there pre-draft. They're, uh, they're just uh. they're just going to get louder and more apt if he's having lower leg stuff that continues to crop up, so... So much of it depends on him, what we get from him. And look, the other part of that is if we strike gold and get number one, we're getting an absolute alien. That is true. I mean, you get the, the French missile Victor Wimbignano, who has been getting all his minutes in with Devontae Jones, man. He's ready. Let's go. <laughs> Devontae Jones has prepared him for elite point guard play that he'll get <laughs> in Detroit. I mean, he's gonna have. I mean, he's gonna take a step down going from Devonte Jones to Cade Cunningham. Yes, yes. So I mean, it's a step <laughs> up in height because I think Devonte Jones compared. They actually show him in the graphic of like, look at how absurdly tall this guy is. We're showing him next to this guy you've never heard of, Devonte Jones, and I'm like, that's not necessary. No need. For well, Devonte Jones is kind of shaped like a potato with like pipe cleaners for arms. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what he's shaped like. That's a very accurate comparison. <laughs> Oh, man, this was a ton of fun, though, brother. Glad that we got to do this. Next week, we're going to have a guest on. Michael from over at Wolverine Chronicle, the uh, Bleacher Report, uh, is going to be here. We are going to do our stats prediction. Stats up, stats down, stats stay the same for some key players in Michigan football. Really looking forward to that podcast. We are not too far away from our spring game draft, which I was thinking we're going to have to workshop something with whoever gets first pick again. In that one, because somebody only one person can get the starting quarterback. That's going to be like it's almost like whoever gets that's going to win it. So maybe we'll have to do some type of snake thing for two picks, or like I don't know, something like that. We'll work yeah, out some sort of gimmick. We got it. Yeah, we got to figure out something to kind of just balance how much the quarterback is going to sway this draft. It will be better with this team, at least. I mean, get Davis Warren. <laughs> like, at least the other positions aren't as deep. So, like, you can, like, stack up something else maybe. But we'll work through it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't have to figure that out now. Uh, for now, that's going to do it on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. Important to subscribe now that we will be switching over. So if you haven't done that, please do. And while you're there, give us a five-star review. We would certainly appreciate it. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Talk, keep them talking.